Welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast from the Western Front Association, with me, Dr Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the First World War and have over 60 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 11th of March, 2019, and this is episode 104. On today's programme, I talk to Alan Wakefield about the Salonika campaign. Alan is head of First World War and early 20th century conflict at the Imperial War Museum and also chairman of the Salonika Campaign Society. I spoke to Alan from a rather echoey room at RAF Duxford. Alan, welcome to the podcast. Before we discuss the deployment of Allied forces to Salonika in the Great War, can you tell us about yourself and how you became interested in this topic? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I've been a curator at the Imperial War Museum for 18 years. Uh, for about the last two, just over two years, I've been head of First World War and early 20th century conflict. Um, before working at IWM, I was at the National Maritime Museum and RAF Museum. And um, the reason I got interested in Salonika was I, um, when I was still at school, I had a couple of great uncles from who served in the First World War who was still alive, and uh, one of them we went to see, and uh, I, I knew very little about the First World War then, and thinking Uncle Bert was going to say that he was on the Somme or a heap, uh, he came out with the, uh, with the immortal line, I was in Greece fighting Bulgarians, and it, all, and it all went from there. So why do you think Salonika is worth studying? Um, well, really, you've got to look at the First World War. The First World War is a global conflict, and the Allies obviously had a strategy that was that was based over many fronts, and they're all really interdependent. So I don't think you can really get a full understanding of the war without studying um, all the theatres. So to get us started, where is Salonika, and what country was it part of in 1914? Well, Salonika is uh, at the head of the Gulf of Salonika, which is uh, in the Aegean Sea. Uh, in 1914, it's part of Greece, as it is now. It's now called Thessaloniki rather than Salonika. Um, however, it had only been part of Greece from 1912. Before that, it had been part of the Ottoman Empire, and it was it was won from the uh, from the Turks in 1912 during the First Balkan War by the Greeks. And the Greeks actually got there about 24 hours before the Bulgarians. Otherwise, it would have been part of Bulgaria in 1914. So when and why did Allies land military forces in Salonika and what were their geostrategic objectives? Um, initially, the idea was to prevent Bulgaria joining the Central Powers in an attack on Serbia. Uh, obviously, in 1915, the Gallipoli campaign was going on and the Turks were desperate for ammunition and supplies and the Germans needed an overland rail route across Europe to resupply the Turks and uh, Serbia was in the way. Uh, basically, Austria-Hungary tried to invade Serbia a couple of times in 1914 and, and ultimately failed and the Germans wanted to, to knock Serbia out. At the same time, uh, Bulgaria, who had been defeated in the Second Balkan War in 1913, wanted territory from Serbia. The Germans promised this if the Bulgarians uh, were involved in the offensive. Um, the Allies, British and French, thought that if they sent uh, a couple of weak divisions to, to Greece, uh, the Bulgarians would not take part in the operation. Um, that ultimately failed. Um, once Serbia is crushed, um, the Allies find new reasons to stay in the Balkans. Firstly, to keep Greece neutral, uh, which stops uh, the Greek islands being used as German, potentially being used as German submarine bases. 
and uh, secondly to tempt uh, Romania into the war against the Austro-Hungarians. So there was always a reason to stay, although the, although the British are always looking for a reason to leave. So what was the scale of Allied forces deployed to Salonika during the Great War? Uh, it was pretty extensive. I mean, we've got about 600, ultimately there's about 600,000 Allied servicemen there uh, in six national contingents. So you've got French, British, Italians, uh, Russians for a period up until the revolution, uh, Serbs and uh, Greeks ultimately as well. So the British contribution of that was 228,000. And did that commitment increase uh, or did it remain relatively stable throughout the war? Um, it was relatively stable until late, well, mid, mid to late 1917 and then into 1918. Uh, what then happened was that the British uh, started to look at Palestine rather than Salonika as a place to sort of win that sort of eastern battle. Um, so they withdrew two divisions to, um, to Palestine, 60th London and 10th Irish. And the French started to withdraw troops as well. And obviously, in 1918, after the German spring offensive in March, they needed troops to um, basically uh, make up the casualties in the British and French armies. So the British took um, 12 uh, battalions from Salonika, and the French took an equivalent number of men back to France. So, who were the Allies fighting in Salonika? Well, primarily it's the Bulgarian army. Bulgarians have about 400 to 500,000 men available, um, but they've also got German, Austro-Hungarian and Turkish support. Um, the main support comes from the Germans. And as usual with the Germans, what they do, as they did with the Turks and the Austrians, is they, they put specialist units in. So there's always lots of German artillery, machine gunners, uh, engineers, and sort of assault units uh, in the Balkans. Uh, and also what, they, what the Germans are very good at, as they do on the other theatres of war as well, is that whenever there's a crisis amongst one of their allies, they, they use the railway network to shuttle troops and reinforcements around. So what would happen on the Balkans is whenever there was an allied offensive, two or three German divisions would be moved from either the Western or Eastern Front, whichever was quietest, sent to the Balkans during that period of uh, fighting. Once the allies have been stopped, those troops would then be sent elsewhere. So the Allies arrive in October 1915, and what exactly did they do there? What sort of, how many battles and what was the sort of scale of military activity over the three years of their deployment? Okay, well, the campaign happens in a number of phases. Initially, as I've, as I've said, um, we arrived to try to stop the uh, Bulgarians uh, from getting involved in the invasion of Serbia. And the two French divisions and 10th Irish division move up into southern Serbia in the winter of 1915. And in December, they're attacked by the Bulgarians and pushed back to Salonika. Uh, the decision is then made by the Allies that we're going to defend Salonika because we need to keep that harbour open. It's the only deep water, large port in the area from which we can either withdraw the whole force or put in reinforcements. So they, they spend about five months digging a, a chain of fortifications over about 70 mile uh, radius over a range of hills. We sit there until about May 1916 when we realise that the Bulgarians are not moving down into Greece and the Allies then move up towards the frontier with Serbia and Bulgaria. Uh, the next piece of fighting is, is an Allied offensive in the sort of autumn and uh, winter of 1916, which goes on from about September to November. Uh, ultimately, it doesn't break the front line, but it does capture 
the town of Monastia, which is in Serbia. So it puts Serbian troops back on home soil for the first time. So it's a big morale boost. Uh, 1917, there's a spring offensive. Uh, the British make their attack at Doiran for the first time. Both the Battle of Doiran and the Allied Spring offensives are both failures, quite heavy casualties. After that point, there is no heavy fighting in Salonika until September 1918. Main reason for that is they lack manpower, munitions, and supplies to actually keep fighting a high intensity war. And then in September 18, there's the breakthrough battle, starts on the 14th of September, and on the 29th of September, the Bulgarians sign an armistice. So the campaign is pretty much stalemate for a couple of years and then a very, very rapid advance and victory. Obviously, we're very familiar with the conditions on the Western Front. What were they like in Salonika for soldiers? Oh, well, they're pretty basic. I mean, it, I mean, our country, the, um, the whole area was pretty ravaged by the Balkan Wars in 1912-13. So a lot of the villages are in ruins and are abandoned. So you don't get decent accommodation behind the lines for troops. There are no sort of estaminets and barns and places where you can where troops can go off duty. So you're really stuck in um, tented accommodation, even when you come out of the line. Um, and you don't get much chance to go back to the city of Salonika until 1918, because it's seen as sort of off limits, really. Um, and the troops, as I say, are really just stuck living in tents, bivouacs and um, dugouts in ravines um, throughout the year. And you've got problems of, of freezing winter temperatures, boiling hot summers. The summers also bring plagues of insects. And, uh, and the ravages of malaria as well, which is pretty endemic, especially in the Struma Valley where the British Army was um, deployed for much of the campaign. And what were the level of casualties amongst Allied forces during the Salonika campaign? Uh, well, the casualties are relatively limited. As I said, um, the big problem they've got is they don't have the, they don't have the manpower and, and munitions to fight a, a complete, really intensive war as on the Western Front. The other problem is because of the summer and winter conditions, you're, you're really, you can only really fight sort of April, May and September, October every year, otherwise it's either too cold or too hot to actually do anything. Um, Allied casualties overall are about, this is battle casualties, about 114, uh, about 111,400 altogether. Um, of, of that, the British suffer about 23,700 casualties. Uh, casualties for the Central Powers about 365,000. And what were, the, were, there, were there severe casualties from disease? Yeah, pretty much. Um, mostly, from, mostly from malaria. I mean, the thing with malaria, it doesn't kill that many people, but it debilitates absolutely thousands of soldiers. And the British Army, for instance, uh, overall non-battle casualties for the campaign, 481,000. Uh, remember, the, the army is only 228,000 strong, and of those 481,000, 156,000 are malaria cases. Um, you've got to remember that the reason that that level is so high is every time a man comes out of the line and goes to, to the hospitals, he's counted again in the system. Um, but it just shows that you know battle, battle casualties are 20 times less than non-battle casualties. So this is a very much an old-fashioned style campaign where disease rather than the enemy is, is, is your main threat. And was anybody famous posted to uh, Salonika in the British forces? Yeah, there were a few famous people um, who, who became famous more for what they did away from the military. Um, in, in terms of artists, we had uh, Sir Stanley Spencer. Um, Stanley Spencer was there as a medical orderly 
and then a uh, private in the seven for all Berkshires. Um, another person who was there at Games and Medical Orderly was uh, Ray Fawn Williams, the composer. He went on to become a captain in the artillery, but that when he, when he got his uh, commission, he went, to the, he went to France, but in, in Salonika he was a medical orderly again. And the other person who turned up after the fighting was over uh, with the YMCA was um, Gustav Holst, who, who came along to put on concerts and to teach members of the British Army to play musical instruments. So when you reflect on the Salonika campaign, what was the overall political military importance of the uh, campaign? I think really, I mean, the campaign is always not something that the British want, want to fight. And you could, you could tell its lack of importance in that the British didn't mind that the French took senior command in this campaign. And that really reflects France's greater sort of political and economic interests in the Balkans. The main uh, reason for this campaign, you could argue, that, well, the reason it carried on was really to try to, the Allies always trying to build a Balkan coalition against the uh, against the central powers, and the idea was always to sort of invade Austria, Hungary, and Germany through the back door. So you come through the Balkans, through Austria, and then into southern Germany. So there was always that threat, uh, and also to try to keep links with the Russians who were fighting in uh, Romania at that time. Um, and also, we didn't want Greece, as I said earlier, we didn't want Greece going on into the um, into the central powers camp. Uh, mainly because uh, of the threat that would have posed to sea lines of communication across the Mediterranean. Because we've always got to remember that the, the, the main uh, imperial artery of the British is the Suez Canal. So we needed to keep the Mediterranean pretty free from, uh, from German U-boats. Is there anything, actually anything left of the battlefield? I know we're all familiar with the Western Front and the various trenches, but is there anything significant left in Salonika at all? Yeah, very much. I mean, I, I go there a couple of times every year, and every time I go, uh, friends of mine who live there show us uh, new stuff that they found. Um, the main place for seeing things is at uh, the uh, Doiran battlefield, which is actually in, in uh, Fyron, the former Yugoslav Republic of Macedonia. Um, there, there was no real uh, depth of soil for digging trenches, so pretty much like in northern Italy, everything was blasted out of solid rock, and there's uh, concrete emplacements. Uh, artillery emplacements, machine gun bunkers, uh, concrete dugouts, all over the place. The area is pretty overgrown now, but if, you, if you've got local guides, they, they can actually show you locations. And we found um, a complete British 18-pounder uh, battery position, all concreted in, equivalent on the Bulgarian side. So Doiran is absolutely fantastic for that. Um, also, back on the birdcage line, there are lots of um, old trench lines, British and French dug in 1915-16, uh, and we found a very nice uh, concrete bridge abutment uh, made by 99 Field Company Royal Engineers, which is sort of stamped with their with their logo, so uh, a, a nice sort of memorial in a way. And can people visit the battlefield, and is it reasonably accessible, or are there any sort of local political difficulties that they need to be aware of? Yeah, it is difficult to visit because it is pretty remote, and if you don't know the location of places, you will you will literally not find anything. Um, the other issue is every, all, all the all the villages on the Greek side of the border have had their names changed. They've all been Hellenized in the 1920s, so old trench maps will show old Turkish or Slavic names, and those villages either don't exist 
or been totally renamed. So it's very difficult to navigate yourself around. Also, you do have the border, the fire on Greece border, um, and the Doiran battlefield actually crosses the border, and you have to watch out where you go because the, the Greeks, especially, police that border quite heavily. Um, so the best thing to do is go with um, an organised group, which the um, Salonica Campaign Society run, and also. Um, companies like Battle Honours, and they actually get me along as the uh, historian. Um, but I also know locals in, in Greece and in Fyron who will um, do uh, bespoke uh, tours to people as well. But it's always better to take somebody who knows the ground. And where can people learn more about Salonika and the Salonika campaign? Uh, well, firstly, there is the Salonika Campaign Society, of uh, which I'm currently chairman. Uh, we've got a very good website, uh, a lot of information about the campaign and updates um, about tours, etc. Um, then there are a couple of books. Um, I just plug my own book, Under the Devil's Eye, uh, written by, with my colleague uh, Simon Moody, which gives you a sort of soldier's eye view of the campaign. Uh, a companion to that is really Alan Palmer's uh, Gardeners at Salonica, which gives you the sort of political and strategic level overview of the campaign. And um, Captain Cyril Falls' two-volume official history uh, campaign in Macedonia is also quite an accessible uh, set of uh, British official histories to read. Alan, thank you very much for your time. Thanks. You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Butterworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Rusman and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth, performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time. <laughs>